The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Discover the word, identify yourself in the word, meditate on the word, speak the word, walk in the word, walk in the abundance of life that Jesus Christ has paid for. Welcome to this week's episode of The Abundant Life with Gilbert and Jacobina, where the word of God is taught practically, ushering you into all that Christ has wrought for you. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive from the Word of God. By sharing knowledge through conversation and teaching, we will impart some knowledge while still learning ourselves how to grow in the Lord even further. Hi everyone. Welcome to today's episode on the Abundant Life Podcast with your host Gilbert and Jacobina. Today we will continue with our expose of the book of Galatians and to be specific, we are in chapter 2. Previously, we learned how Paul started out writing a letter correcting mistakes made by the Galatians. He stamped his authority as an apostle from God, he spoke against false teachers of the gospel, and that he himself was once only focused on Moses' law for his salvation, but it didn't work, and then God saved him by grace, which we call unmerited favor. Just to note, you must know that the original Bibles in Greek and in Hebrew, from which ours were translated from, are not written in chapters, but that was done for simplicity when reading it. Based on that understanding, chapter 2 is an exact continuation from 1. So I'll start reading from chapter 1, verse 18, into chapter 2, and I'm using the NIV version. The Bible says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they, they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Verse 11. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Simon in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in, in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. Now, in verse 1 to verse 2, as we begin to break down this whole entire chapter, I want us to think about this question. Firstly, why was Paul going to share his revelation of the, of the gospel with other believers who we see him calling pillars. In, to be specific, he mentions their names. James, the brother of Jesus. Peter, who is called Cephas. And John, who we are aware is the one who wrote John, the book of John, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. So why is Paul going to share his revelation? We notice in chapter 1 that after three years of Paul's ministry, he went to Jerusalem and again, now after 15 years, he goes there to present a gospel he has been preaching. And he says that this is so that he does not get into what is called hearsay or heresy. Such that he may end up losing his own way in Christ. Because remember, our salvation is critical beyond the work that we do for God. Firstly, our salvation must be secured. Jesus said in the scriptures to say that, Be joyful, mainly, that your names are registered in heaven. Which means that is critical because the disciples were excited about the, the miracles they were doing and how that the demons were listening to their instructions. And Jesus said, that is okay. But firstly, rejoice that your names are registered in heaven. This is a caution to those of us that share the gospel. That no matter what revelation you get, it could be via a dream, via a vision, or an angel visited you in daylight, or whatever you want to call it. Listen, if it does not align with scripture, it's not worth you losing your salvation over it. Rather, to make sure that you are in line, if you are not sure, you have tried to search scriptures by yourself, but you are not certain that that message you received is, not true, is true or not, go and seek those who are considered pillars in your society of scriptures and present your truth to them. Be cautious that it is not to say that they are more superior than you. But remember that even they are not God. But rather what you, you desire is that in a multitude of witnesses, the truth should be found. Now we can see this very clearly being encouraged in the Bible. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and a few more scriptures, this is what they say. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You hear that? Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but he shall not be executed on the testimony of a lone witness. One witness. Never make a decision under one witness. 
two or three witnesses are critical. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says this, A lone witness is not sufficient to establish any wrongdoing or sin against a man, regardless of what offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Another one is, is, uh, is Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. You may say that those are Old Testament. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So we clearly see here that Paul is literally following these scriptures. He gets his revelation, which he says he received very clearly directly from God, and goes to subject it before people that are also called by God. He is called and they are called. They have the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit. Now, if it is the same Spirit that has led both of them in the direction they are going, then it, they should speak the same message. And that is why when he comes before them, we see clearly that the message is confirmed. In verse 4 of Galatians, of chapter 2, here we are informed of how this spiritual sickness that the Galatians has, had actually started experiencing. Paul says there were some false believers in their midst whose goal was to spy out the liberty and freedom in Christ that the believers in Galatia, in Galatia were enjoying. So take note that Paul has gone to first of all make sure that his doctrine is correct. And in verse 4, we are being explained to, Paul is beginning to deal with the sickness that the people in Galatia were actually experiencing. And the sickness is being, is being taught to us that there were some individuals who had come in, crept into the church and started instigating. They were spies. They were pretenders that they believed in the same gospel. But their main goal was just to find out what manner of freedom are these believers enjoying? What liberty are they experiencing in Christ Jesus? So that we may puncture it, find fault with it, and condemn them. If you read Romans chapter 8 verse 1, you see that there is a freedom that believers are given in Christ Jesus. It says this, So there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving spirit, and this power is mine through Christ Jesus, has freed me from the vicious cycle of sin and death. Now we see that the power that sin and death carried over our lives before we gave our lives to Christ Jesus has been broken by the life-giving spirit found in Christ Jesus, whom, we, whom which we received. And from the day that we received Christ, we received this power that broke away condemnation over our lives. Our minds are no longer held in, in, the, in the damnation of sin. The sin consciousness is gone. The power to sin is gone. Because now we have Christ in us. The bondage that sin was keeping us in, that cell, the jails, that the, the, the prison that we were put in is forever broken in Christ Jesus. Now we begin to live free. We are at peace. We are joyful. We are glad every single day of our lives. And because of this gladness, peace, and joy, others were, were troubled at it. And therefore they crept in. That's what verse 4 is telling us. Crept in into where we are to tell us that we must not be so excited because there's still work we need to do. Now in verse 6 to 10, in there, there's a discussion. Paul mentions that the apostles actually did not add anything to his message because this would have meant that whatever he was teaching to the other churches where he had been for the last 14-15 years 
that this, it was a half-truth or there was a message that he had lacked to share with them. And this message probably could have involved, you know, it could have been a portion of the fact that he had left out mentioning issues to do with circumcision, the physical circumcision that was required by those who are not Jews. But because no one added anything to his message when he presented it to them, uh, as we read from verse 1 to 3, that he went to talk to these three pillars of, of, of the church at that moment, when he presented his message to them of what God had taught him, none of them added to say, you have forgotten this portion. But rather, the Lord made them realize by the Holy Spirit that Paul was being effective actually with his message and his gospel in winning those who were considered as non-Jewish people by the, by the Holy Spirit to Christ Jesus, as Peter was also doing with Jews. So the same way that Peter was being effective, routing miracles, doing great things to those who were born Jews in Israel, winning them to Christ, the same way was happening with Paul and his message. And there was nothing they added to his message. I repeat, it means that everything he had taught the Galatians prior to him going to visit uh, Peter and, 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 and James and John was intact. It was correct. All the, the whole entire message was fine. So with this conviction, they only just reminded him to continue helping the poor. Now, this is the only part in Christianity that is considered as religion. Because the, the major portion of Christianity, you, if you were to understand Christianity, it is not a religion. It is a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Now, the portion of helping the poor, the widows and the orphans, is what we consider as religion. It is not what makes you a Christian, but it is a way, a, a task, an activity that you must begin, you must continue to do as a believer because God is love. Therefore, we must show our love to God through these acts. Now, interestingly, Paul says, this admonition you are giving me, this reminder, this encouragement to help the poor is something that I myself have already been eager about. I've been helping the poor everywhere I've been going and I've been talking about it. That is to seal the fact that his message was intact. It was exactly what they were preaching and it needed nothing else added to it. The Galatians had been given a full package and nothing else was needed to be added. In verse 11 to 14, here Paul rebukes or opposes Peter the Apostle. Somebody he was with some, some time ago presenting his gospel to him and other fellow pillars comes visiting in a place where Paul is ministering to Gentiles, is working with Gentiles in that area. Paul comes visiting in that area and because he is the only one who is a Jew, is one of the few who is a Jew and the rest of the other Jews probably are acquainted to, Paul, to Paul's message of the fact that there is no necessity of physical circumcision. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Peter is very comfortable with the, with the Gentiles, those who are not born as Jews. He's very comfortable with them. He's eating with them. He is talking to them, having fun, talking and chatting about God and about everything else that they, they would be talking about. But interestingly, we see a situation whereby some Jews who had come from James, which means they had come from Jerusalem, where James was leading, came visiting in the place where Peter and Paul and the rest, Barnabas and everybody else were. And as soon as Peter saw that these Jews had come from James. Paul quickly retracts 
pulls away from the from the Gentiles that he has been laughing with all this entire time and wants to only eat with the Jews. Now, you must understand the tradition of, of, of Jews at this point. You must understand that uh, there was a rule given to, to Abraham of physical circumcision. That that was the way that God was going to identify who is a Jew and, and who is a descendant of Abraham because God had chosen Abraham and his physical descendant. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these had to be circumcised. The 12 tribes of Israel, everybody had to be circumcised in the very early days of their birth, after birth. And it was a sign that you were a Jew. And the, the, the understanding around this was that if you were a Jew, then you could not mingle with non-Jewish people. That is why you remember when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, she, she is kind of she has spite in her of the fact that here is a man, a Jew, requesting for water from her, a Samaritan, whom Jews consider as nobodies. Why would you be asking for water from me? That is her concern. So she says, this is our place, our well given to us by our father. We also are people. She was trying to justify herself. But Jesus said, look, that doesn't matter. Whether one prays down there or up here, a time is coming when all that will not matter anymore. And it's because of himself. Now, now Paul and Peter are having this same situation here where now we see clearly that Peter is running away from mingling with other, other, other believers because they are not Jewish and because they are not circumcised physically. So he quickly uh, disconnects himself, goes and connects with those who have come from, from, from Jerusalem, from James, and are Jews by physical, by, by physical being because they were born as Jews, are physically circumcised. And Paul sees that. I, I'm sure you have had a situation in your life where you had a friend who would be laughing with you, who would be happy with you when you're the two of you. And the moment another group of friends come and who they consider themselves to be cool people, this person, you see them now siding with the other people. And you're wondering, you were laughing with me the whole entire time. Why are you behaving this way now? This is what happened here. And, and, and most of us, we just watch such things and we forget about it. It just hits us inside. Paul was not that kind of a person. Paul went out to Peter and opposed him. Spoke to him rightly in, the, in front of everybody. Now, there are a few lessons we can, actually, we can actually pull out of this. Firstly, People who are highly esteemed as leaders in our church do make mistakes. Do, do, do they make mistakes? Can, can people who are highly esteemed as leaders in our church make mistakes? Our deacons, our, our, our elders, uh, our prophets, the, the people we consider as, as, as apostles or pastors or anybody, can they make mistakes? That's, that, that's one of the few lessons I want us to draw from this portion of scripture. My answer is yes, they can make mistakes. They are not God, they can make mistakes. So what lessons should we draw on how a mistake of a leader is corrected? How, what lessons can we draw from here? Well, firstly, I see that number one, if you see a grievant mistake made by a leader, first of all, approach them privately. Now you would say, Paul didn't do this privately. Well, remember that he had gone to Peter, James, and John to present his gospel, right? Which means that they were not preaching what he was preaching. So he had to go and give them what the Lord had delivered to him. And it meant that they corrected their doctrine, they corrected their understanding of dealing with Gentiles. And that is why Peter was able to come and mingle with Gentiles. Because remember... Again, that Peter, there was a time when Peter was 
spoken to by the Holy Spirit in a vision that he should be able to go and preach in a house of a Gentile, Cornelius. And he rejected in the vision to go and do that. He refused. He says, I have not been allowed from childhood to eat anything that is unclean. And God rebuked him and said, how can you, Peter, call something unclean that I have called clean? So there was a lack of understanding that Peter had, but God had started dealing with him. So when Paul was going there to go and preach this word to him, or share this revelation with them, it was still helping Peter learn more. So firstly, Paul does not speak in the public in the first instance about Paul's, about Peter's lack of understanding of how to deal with Gentiles. Because he knew it is a, it is a, it is a, it's a long living thing in their lives as Jews. So he went and met them privately. And that is what we need to do as believers. When you see leaders make mistakes, don't go out talking to other people, you know, backbiting about them and all those things. That is a mistake. The first thing you do is go and visit them in the private. Pray for them and go and visit them in the, in the private. Have a conversation with them. Tell them about what you felt that was not right. And I'm sure if they, the same spirit that led you to, to go and talk to them is the same spirit that is in them, they will hear you. Now we see that afterwards, Paul, who is equally an apostle, not just any other believer. Now this is something very important. Paul, who is equally an apostle, which means that he has tested the things and he knows that he's hearing from God, rebukes Paul, rebukes Peter openly. So uh, I say this again, that if you do not hold the same authority, I don't think it is wise because at a certain point, you may not have all clear information sometimes to be able to rebuke an individual openly who God has called to, to be a leader, to be to be. Uh, 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 a priest, a teacher of the word of God, you may not know exactly at what point God is working with them on. So you need to be watchful on how you're going to rebuke them openly. Now, that's not our message today. This is something we can do, we can talk about a little bit later. But if, and I'm going to say that again, if the Lord leads you to actually rebuke them openly, please do that. Because we see that the reason why Paul spoke out in the open and not calling Peter on the side was because of the, the fact that he caused many to also follow and fall as he did. You notice that other Jews who were, were very open and comfortable mingling with, with other believers who were Gentiles now had decided to separate themselves because they saw Peter, a big figure, react in a certain way including Barnabas, who had preached with Paul for quite a long time, more than 15 years, felt condemned and decided to follow Peter. And this is the reason why Paul rebuked him openly on behalf of Barnabas and other Jews that were being misled by Peter. Now, that is a very, very interesting thing. So if you are a leader today and you are sinning, Another lesson that you can get from this is that let us not be shy to repent. As we see, Peter, the same person that walked with Jesus, none of us today have ever walked with Jesus physically, but Peter did. And yet in his mistake, we know that Peter was a very repentant person. He himself, even after the master, which is Jesus, left, still made mistakes. As Peter. Now, if Peter can make mistakes, who are you? Who am I? But we see him still being used by God, and that means that Peter was a repentant man that loved God dearly. So, as men of God, you can never become big enough not to make mistakes. So, let us develop a heart that is meek and lowly. So that we don't think we can never make mistakes. As such a big-headed status. 
may make you a very good target of Satan. And like Judas, you will not easily come to receive grace after a fall. You will fail to come and apologize. So please, let us take a lesson that as Peter went on being a man that loved God and would always be repentant, because we seem greatly used, we as men of God, no matter how high and anointed you may be, sometimes you may fall prey to a mistake. And the understanding of that will allow you to be somebody who is de desirous of God's grace continued in your life. Let's get to verse 15 to 17. This is actually where the main message of the whole letter written to the Galatians uh, by God through Paul. And this letter is written to you and me also. God is talking to us through Paul. And he says that we must know, which is having knowledge, being aware, the via gathering of information in the Bible that we and others can never be declared innocent. Now that's what the word justified means. Some of us just read this word justified and we just move on. Justified is to be declared innocent. Now it's interesting that uh, you see you could have committed adultery, you could have committed theft, you could have committed murder, you could have done any form of evil that you could have done. You could have been a homosexual or anything whatever sin that you could have ever done, the Lord is speaking to us through this letter to the Galatians by, written by Paul that whatever it is that you could have done, I want you to have knowledge through the word of God, either by reading it or by listening as you are listening right now, that God declares you not just cleaned or covered. You know, as some people put it, to say God covered our sins. No! He has declared us innocent. Can you imagine that? That you are in court and God says, this one never did it. Only God has the power to do that. Now, how is that possible? And by working out, and what we must understand is that that innocence, the justification that God gives us is not by you and I working and keeping the Ten Commandments of Moses. This is a very critical issue that Paul is trying to make in this book, in this letter. That our innocency, that the people of Galatia did not become innocent or justified before God. You and me have not become justified and innocent before God because we kept the Ten Commandments of Moses. No. That shall not lie. That shall not steal. That shall not... The Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, it, we did not become innocent. Because we kept them. No. But what saves you and I is faith in Jesus Christ. Now we can talk about why Jesus Christ a little bit later, but it is in Him having faith fully in Christ Jesus is what gets us to be declared innocent. In verse 13 of Acts chapter uh, of Acts. Uh, chapter, chapter 13, Acts, verse 37. It says that, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. He's talking about Jesus. Be it known unto you, therefore, known again. You see the word known? It says, we must know. In, 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 in Galatians, it says, we must know. It says, knowing, knowing, which means that there must be an awareness, an understanding, a knowledge that you must acquire. Be it known unto you, therefore, I'm continuing with Acts 13, verse 37. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are made innocent, are justified from all things. Wow, glory be to Jesus. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is not me saying it. It's the Bible. It says you could not be justified by the law of Moses. But, 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 but him, Jesus Christ, whom we preach is forgiveness of sins. Or the, the being made innocent of from all things that you could have ever done in your life. Imagine it. Any sin, any lie, theft, 
murder, homosexuality, moral sin, anything you could have ever done, you are made innocent. Now remember that according to Romans 7 verse 12, uh, we may think that the law is useless. It is not. The Bible says that the law is holy, it is righteous, and good in itself. The law in itself is good, holy, and righteous. But it cannot produce or make a sinner righteous. As they do not have power or have the power in them to resist sin and follow the law. You and me, by ourselves, do not have the power to follow the law, to keep it. It's too holy for a sinner to follow it. That's just how it is. So you may ask me a question then. Why did God give it? Well, God gave the law that it may be a mirror that shows you and I our filthiness, the deadness of our sin. Then the, the, the fact that we need to run to Christ the fact that we need help by ourselves. Because you see, if there was no traffic light, right? If there was no traffic light on the roads that we drive on, you would drive at any speed. You would pass anywhere at any speed without stopping for anybody. If there was no, tra there was no traffic light, there was no speed limits on the road. I remember traveling a few, a few, a few weeks ago from one town of, of Zambia to the other. And I was run, and we were, you know, because we, we, we are doing about uh, a lot of kilometers, so we have to get home quite early. And we would run and run and run. And we would know that when we see a notice to say 20 kilometers, 40 kilometers, 80 kilometers, it means we need to reduce our speed. I remember seeing a speed limit saying, 80 kilometers and I reduced from 120 coming down to 80 the guy behind me saw the same sign but decided to overtake me at about 90 and just in front on the cave was the police the law enforcers what were they enforcing that we need to keep the 80 kilometer per hour speed limit they stopped him. And I passed. Left him having a conversation with the police. Being charged for the wrong he has done. Now, how did we both know that I should not do this? How did he know that he is wrong? If that speed limit was not there, then there was no need for him to be caught. So the speed limit is the one that gives him a standard. So therefore, the law becomes a standard that must be kept. But you and me, even despite him seeing the law, did not have it in him to have the ability to keep it. And that is the trouble that, that men had before Christ came, before Jesus died on the cross. We had no power and ability. Now you can see this in Romans 8 verse 3 to 4. It says, I'm continuing because we had obviously read it at some point. We, we read Romans 1 verse 2. Now we're doing 3 to 4. We aren't saved from sin's grasp, grasp by knowing the commandments of God because we can't and don't keep them. Did you hear that? So you know them. Do not lie. Do not steal. But you still steal. You still lie. So that was not good enough. In the sense that you knowing them was not good enough. The law itself is good. It's good. It's holy. It's righteous. And it's good. But you knowing it was not helpful. Because you couldn't keep it. But God put into effect a plan. A different plan to save us. So first of all there is a need to be saved. So that something may happen. He sent his son, his own son, in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful, and destroyed his sin's control, dist and destroyed sin's control over us. 
by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Now listen to verse 4. So now we, all oh glory be to Jesus, can obey God's law. Oh, radiko savranindi pra agas katishe kele diasikatar. Legons kuvradish tele kele diasike tele diande kitasar. Oh, ranamanike devre endish te kele diasikatia. Listen, to be told not to lie is good. Which means we don't need to, to do away with that law. To be told not to steal is good. It is important that people respect other people's things. To be told not to, to fornicate or to commit adultery, sleeping out with other people's wives, is wrong. Therefore, it is not done away with. Don't fool yourself, believer. Don't fool yourself, child of God, that in grace the law is not, is not necessary. No, that's not the point. Because you have got Christ in you, you have been saved, and now the law is no law is no longer a taskmaster against you. It's no longer against you. It is in, in you. The Bible says the, the law of God is written in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is the love. The, ten, the commandments are on our hearts. We follow them. They are in us. They are not something that we need to do angrily. We follow it because we have the ability. It says here, so now we can obey God's law if we follow after the Holy Spirit and no longer obey the old evil nature within us. Glory be to God. Wow. Glory be to Jesus. Well, verse, verse 19 to 20 of Galatians, continuing, say, Paul lays out his status. How that he has had to, to give up in trying to gain a good standing with God by keeping the law of Moses by himself. Remember in chapter 1, he said he was advanced in Judaism. You know, meaning that he had studied the law and all the entire test, Old Testament because he had to do so. And that was not helpful at all. And he's confessing to say, I gave up on that. Now he has accepted Christ's death for himself. That on the cross, Jesus died for me and that he no longer lives of himself to please his own self to do things that only please him but that the life the zoe the god kind of life that he lives now is christ that is that christ lives in him firstly that is in literal fact that that christ the anointing of god the holy spirit dwells in every person who has given up their life and has believed in Christ and in his death. And he says he lives by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, so many people across the world who are in Christianity take the statement of living by faith as a replacement that they do not have control over their lives where they stay or what they eat and that God will take will, will, will take care of it by himself you know like when 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 they don't have food they say oh we just live by faith when their vehicle has got no fuel they just say oh we just live by faith so they live substandard lives in the nature in the name that they are just living by faith no, 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 saints. That is not what is being referred to here as living by faith. God would never allow us to have desires after salvation if that was the case. He says he grants all the desires of our heart. Now, how would he then allow us to have desires if the plan was that every time we just live by faith and that meaning that we don't have enough or we don't we are not okay you know like just barely surviving because it is that is what is called by faith that is not true i i, I read a short portion that i like from uh, from the touchinglives.org uh, which talks about living by faith and this is what they say living by faith means looking forward with hope and assurance that one day we will be free from the presence of sin we are free from sin but from the presence of sin there will be a time when that will never be there again. Christ will return for his bride. This belief brings a joyful and abundant life despite suffering. 
it reminds us that this earth is not our home. It causes us to long for heaven and to live on behalf of Christ in that those who do not yet know him should hear about him. Faith in what is to come gives our lives a sense of peace and agency. Because agency or urgency, to be urgent, like you are in a hurry. Because we know he will not tarry forever. He will not wait forever. We are compelled to persevere in the work he has given us to do. Brother and sister in Christ, that is what I agree to living by faith. A continued existence and understanding that Christ is in us, that he is returning for us. This is not our home. We are but on a journey in that in this journey, we must be at peace. We must have abundant life in that also we must be urgent about the fact that we have got a job to do, which is to win to Christ those who do not know him. In verse 21, we are concluding with Paul by asking us not to frustrate the grace or unmerited favor of God that, that us who do not deserve to be rescued, us who are sinners, us who have fallen short of, of the glory of God, we have fallen away from God's ways. If that is you, that we are in fact rescued, <laughs> God still rescued us. There was nothing good in us and made us innocent. Oh, glory be to Jesus. Every time I, ma I make this statement of innocency, it just, it just melts my heart. And this was not done by us being good boys or good girls. All our lives we, we never sinned. We never did anything wrong and we never stole anything and we think that that is good enough. No. It only comes but by, by believing that Christ died for us. Now, if God touched your heart and you want to let God work out your way to heaven and enjoy grace in Christ Jesus. You want to be able to, to have God give you his salvation and his new different way of saving us. Not your way. Because none of our ways can ever get us into heaven. I want you to pray with me. Pray after me. We're going to pray from Romans, uh, from the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 10, and I'll open uh, to that right now. It's Romans 10, verse 9, and it simply says that because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want you to pray after me, Father, in the name of Jesus. I have heard the word today, and today is my day of salvation. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came, walked on this earth, died for me on the cross. All my sins nailed to the cross. Everything I ever did in this life nailed on the cross. Today, I believe that he was raised from the dead. And he lives. And whether I was a thief, whether I've been a murderer, whether I lied, whether I committed homosexuality, despite what any leaders could say that, that it, it, is, it is okay to, to do these wrongs, Father, your word is not consistent with it. Father, I let go of all that and I receive Christ in my life. I confess that today onwards, Jesus is my Lord and that in him I will grow 
to know the truth by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I ask Holy Spirit that you also fill me today with the utterance, the evidence of being able to utter tongues. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill me and teach me wrong, right from wrong. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with me, please let us know. Send us an email. Send us a message. Leave us a comment. If you are listening from YouTube, from Anchor, from Google, please send us a message. Leave us a comment that we may know and be praying with you. If you are somewhere near a good church, please find out. Go and attend church that your heart and your mind and your spirit may be, may, be, may be matured, grown in the things of God. This is the first step you have made. God desires that you mature and you do his work for him. He has saved you to save. So go and find a good church. God bless you. Thank you for joining us and hope you look forward to the next episode. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I hope you have been blessed by the sharing of the word of God today. And I pray that it takes root on good ground and brings forth a hundredfold harvest in your life. Please ensure to subscribe. Follow the Abundant Life with Gilbert and Jacobina on our social media platforms. Join us again next week for another inspiring episode. And remember, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Declare that with me more abundantly. Stay blessed.